Lynn sounds like. Welcome to uh, Objection to the Rule, live from Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Violet Barron, here in the studio with uh, Max Carter and Emily Scott. Uh, how's everyone doing today? Pretty good. Yeah, doing well. Good. Getting, getting out of the rain into the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, out of that uh, springy rain into the uh, little sticky studio. <laughs> uh, very good. Um, so this week we talk federal blocks uh, to... Um, Trump's health care agenda, a new law on sexual abuse from Vatican City, a sort of ban on plastic bags in New York, and an overhaul of the specialized high school SAT, and much more. And we've got uh, 
OG uh, OTR host, uh, Rachel Cleary, on the phone. Hey, Rachel. Okay. Hey, okay. So I got patched through, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you back in the studio with us. Uh, nice to have you Thank here. Thank you. Glad to hear everybody's voices. Yeah. Um, Rachel has been here since the start with us, and she helped us uh, find our footing when we were first getting on the air. Um, so how's everyone doing today? Decent. Yeah. yeah definitely yeah. doing well. I, I have a new job, so oh, congratulations. Sweet. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> I'm not hungover. That, that's that a feels good, good thing. That's well. a positive for a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm no yeah. longer in Brooklyn, so it's a little bit of a trek for me, so I'm just calling in today. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, how'd your move go, Rachel? Um, it, it went pretty well. I mean, it was a move, so it was hectic. It was kind of crazy. It, we didn't know we were going to have to move, so oh, it was like it came together really fast, and we had no idea we'd be moving to where we were moving to, but um, we were like it, so we're we're happy here. Yeah. You're Manhattanites now, right? Yeah. Yeah, again. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> a culture adjustment, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're far up north enough. It's kind of like where New York went. Lots of mom and pop shops, mm-hmm. small restaurants, things like that. Nice. Well, uh, let's get right into it with the national news. Uh, this week, federal judges blocked two attempts by the Trump administration to reverse and challenge Obamacare protections. Uh, Association Health Plans was one, which would allow businesses to sort of cooperatively avoid the ACA requirements. Uh, and the other was additional work requirements for Medicaid recipients in order for them to qualify. Uh, this was regarded as a blow to Trump's health care agenda, which has been a main part of his platform uh, since his campaign. Um, so uh, some questions about that. Uh, Republican attempts to repeal and replace Obamacare have largely been unsuccessful in the whole, and the administration's attempts to break it down are meeting with challenges uh, why do we think that is? What you know, we've heard such a strong uh, discourse on that from the Republican side. Why hasn't it worked so far? I mean, I think in a on a broad in a broad sense, it means that um, the checks and balances system is working pretty okay. Like you know, tentatively, like white knuckled, but like, um, and that you know, the process of implementing the ACA Obamacare was a very intensive, you know, multi, you know, multi branch process and that you know the executive branch can't just go in and say like well we're going to get rid of this um you know snap their fingers right and let that happen like the justice department is there saying well you're not doing it the right way essentially yeah i mean i think the other thing to to pay attention to is the the future that we're moving towards with 2020 approaching i'm sort of surprised that Trump and the Trump administration and his campaign have been shifting the conversation towards repealing Obamacare um, after like all of the Republican efforts have been such failures to impact the the law um, in any way in in terms of repeal. Um, It seems like the conversation at this point has moved beyond whether or not to uh, in, implement or repeal Obamacare, but whether or not we want universal health care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's strange to me that the Trump administration is trying to take this approach of uh, taking away this health care that I think even Republican voters have realized really works for them. Right. Um, I know that there was a lot of conversation where, you know, uh, Republican base supporters would say, 
you know, repeal Obamacare. And then, you know, when when it came out that it's the same thing as ACA Mm -hmm. and they were benefiting from the program, the conversation shifted dramatically. So I'm interested to see how that conversation will continue um, as we get closer to the election. Right. I, I think part of why um, attempts to repeal, repeal and replace it have failed is part of it's the checks and balances. And part of it is also people really were up in arms when it was seriously threatened and they, they protested. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure right. everyone remembers, you know, two years ago, people just were pounding on literally showing up at their representatives' offices and pounding on the doors. They yeah. took it very mm-hmm. seriously. And, I th- you know, you have to respond to that. Um, we saw it, uh, it, it when, when we've, you know, the Democrats flipped the House last year. I mean, that was part of it was people it, it had to do with um, voters really kind of saying, no, we're, we're not going to let this happen to it. In the way that they voted, it should just protest and really speaking out and trying to hold their representatives accountable. Part of what I'm finding interesting here in this in the language or the rhetoric, rather, mm-hmm. um, some of what I'm I'm seeing, what I'm hearing are things like, um, you know, work requirements for Medicaid recipients, um, um, let business, you know, giving um, room for businesses to flourish under this. You know, this these are the kind of like phrases and, and rhetoric. Um, I, I think he's trying to, again, you know, appeal to to a certain base mm-hmm. or a certain, um, you know, people's thinking, like, for, for example, this idea that people who receive Medicaid don't work. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's not necessarily true. You receive one qualifies for Medicaid if you, you know, depending on your household size and household income, therefore there's income in your house, possibly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, he's, He's kind of um, we're we're using rhetoric that um, I've been you know we've been it's been around a long time you know make it friendly for small businesses oh the these people receiving entitlements just because they're lazy we're we're kind of feeding this rhetoric and this kind of ignorance about um, who benefits from what I, and when I see this kind of language I gotta wonder if he, he's we're just we're playing we're playing to a certain audience with all of a sudden talking you know talking about the ACA again I mean part of it might just be like hey um the wall's not really happening mm-hmm. I got to do something thing here the language is reminiscent of the sort of thing he's speaking to a certain i think he's speaking to his base with it right right and then on the flip side uh you know i think a lot of people on the progressive side would say obamacare is sort of indisputably an improvement over um just lack of coverage across the board but uh you know some of us who are uh making you know middle of the road income um uh, have experienced, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe you don't qualify for the kind of subsidies that would make uh, healthcare affordable, um, and maybe you want to buy in, but that's still hundreds of dollars a month out of your paycheck that you can't necessarily afford, um, and that you know that exists to various degrees uh, for various income levels. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, you know, maybe we won't see a total repeal. Uh, but are we going to see sort of patches and improvements, real real improvements? I think that depends on, um, you know, if people like if if the Republicans are finally like, OK, well, maybe we can edit. Like if, if people start actually sitting down and like looking at how to like because um, I think I, I think from the beginning, like, you know, the ACA was never like a perfect right. solution. Like, we, you know, people who want universal health care aren't really happy with it. And um, like, you know, I, I believe everyone has right to health care as well, just for the record. But um, <laughs> but I think that there's like um, if if the 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 idea of trying to get rid of it, if like people stopped 
if if they could stop putting all their energy on just like getting rid of it, getting like because of the rhetoric against Obamacare and because of appealing to a certain base, then maybe some real actual effective um, edits can happen and, you know, talking points can start to happen. But I feel like as long as, um, you know, people with power are like, let's just get rid of the whole thing. Like, it's going to be hard to actually make effective um, changes to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the other thing to, I, I think to, um, to our co-host's point, there was uh, really an invocation of this sort of welfare queen rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see how the various uh, segments of society are being pitted against one another um, in order to offset costs that are not really incurred by the people who are being blamed. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. interesting. I, Sorry, Rachel. When we let the yeah, when we let the free market in, that's kind of what drove the premiums. Exactly. Up. That, that that that's kind of and um, not to kind of go too far back, you know, in time and rehash old things, but that was kind of, that was something that you know the Democrats kind of gave to the Republicans, in, you know, in trying to get this. Hey, welcome to Objection to the Rule, live from Radio Free Brooklyn. Yay! We're in. We're here. <laughs> We're uh, doing it. Oh, man. Uh, you can thank the L train for that little flash from the past. With, uh, I think that was our Larry Sharp interview. So uh, thanks to everyone at RFB for uh, making it happen and keeping the radio on. Uh, so um, we've got some We've got some good news for you this week. Maybe not good news. You're right. Just, got, right. We, we have, have news. A good amount of news. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we have a lot of news. Um, so this week we're going to talk anti-vaxxers in New York City, the latest maelstrom around Ilhan Omar, uh, an arrest for um, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, and more. Um, so uh, we've got, I'm your host, Violet Barron. We've got Emily Scott and Hello. Teresa Robinson in hey, studio y'all. with us. How's everyone doing? Pretty well, good. Yeah. We made it. We do. We're, we're here. It's happening. They tried we're to stop alive. us, but it didn't win. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they. Um, yeah. So uh, let's. Let's get right into Let's it. Let's do it. Um, Emily, you have uh, local news for us. I week. do. I do. So it's happening. New York City has declared a public health emergency over the recent measles outbreak in Brooklyn. There have been more than 285 cases since October. Um, and the declaration requires that everyone living or working in the zones that are affected by the declaration must be vaccinated or face fines unless they can prove a medical exemption, mm-hmm. not religious medical exemption. Oh, well, well, well. Yep. Um, so a couple questions we can talk about. Um, so a, a lot of the um, the unvaccination, like the levels of unvaccination in, the, in these populations um, in these areas are driven by like an anti-vaxxer misinformation sort of movement um, that we a lot of we're sure we're familiar with um, nationwide. Um, anti-vaxxers in the community are actually planning a lawsuit to battle the emergency order, stating that it is a, quote, violation of the Nuremberg Code, which forbids forcing medical procedures on anyone without their fully informed consent. So, which is, which is big. That's heavy, right? Yeah. That's heavy. Um, yeah. And how do we reconcile the right of an individual to refuse a medical procedure like a vaccination with the importance of mandating things like vaccine for things like herd immunity um, and just general public health safety? I mean, this is hard, right? Because you want people to feel 
like they are in control of their bodies, you know, at the very least. But the offset of that is a public health emergency um, makes everybody more vulnerable. So I feel like in a case like this, it'll be case by case. You know, Mm -hmm. it's going to take some combing through. You know, justice for everybody is not the same thing. So in something like this, I think it's really important for us to consider both sides of the argument. But when we talk about the greater, you know, New York City area with all of the congestion and everything that we do together, this could really take out communities, like Mm -hmm. whole communities of people real quick if we don't get on top of it. Mm -hmm. And the the other worst part about this, not a lot of people have enough health care to take care of something like this had it gotten to a worse level. Yeah. 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 True. And um, yeah, you know, it like it, it's also in the ultra orthodox community. It's hard to um, it's hard to reconcile the issues we're talking about in the wider uh, country, you know, because it's it's also an insular community, mm-hmm. you know, and it has its own rules that uh, people in it live by um, as well as, uh, you know, the sensitivities. So when they're invoking the Nuremberg trials, oh, you yeah. know, they're invoking the Holocaust and they're saying, oh, like, are you, do you want to be anti-Semitic, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it's a lot to consider. But it, it's also, you know, it's a disease. I think we've said in the in the past here, like, the disease doesn't discriminate, right? right. So, mm-hmm. so it's important. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh yeah. And on that note, like, you know, with while vaccinations are safe, are safe and important. I just want to reiterate, like there are there has been no proven factual basis that um, I mean, like, you know, that there's any sort of like, lo- you know, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to get into the science of it, but um, there is actually a history in the U.S. of abusing vulnerable populations with under the guise of medicine and research, like the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, mm-hmm. for example. So awful. it's terrible and really upsetting. Um, and anyone who doesn't know about it should absolutely go Google it. But um, watch Miss Everest Boys. Yeah. Great film. Um, so but like, how do we, you know, as a society battle misinformation regarding vaccines and what what's actually like important versus like you know fake science given like a history that does exist of not disclosing or really taking care of you know vulnerable populations this is really hard because it's 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 so hard to find real news today you know so to say that you can base it off of the world health organization website or something along that lines it's really hard to find like objective Um, information in regards to anything, I would say just kind of um, bringing this conversation back to the table, you know, um, in as many platforms as possible to talk about what we do know factually and what Mm -hmm. we don't know. And obviously, you know, I think the healthcare community needs to step up more Mm -hmm. on these cases because Mm -hmm. it's not like we hear a lot of doctors and nurses coming to the platform saying we absolutely have to do this. You know, this is why I think we need more presence from them. You know, on on this in the community and the conversation, because it's always coming from a a lawmaker and not a healthcare provider. And I think that's a lot of the confusion that we all have and the mistrust, Hmm. you know, coming from your doctor is different than coming from your councilman. Unfortunately, you might or might not believe. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do we need to keep moving? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's okay. keep going. All right. All right. Cool. So um, next on the docket um transportation news in new york city not today <laughs> we um so <laughs> state, <Yes. today. laughs> um, state lawmakers recently reached a deal to make new york the first city in the nation to implement congestion congestion pricing starting in 2021 
The plan indicates that vehicles entering Manhattan below 60th Street will have to pay between $11 and $25, depending on the time of day and the size of the vehicle, with the funds collected um, being used to improve the New York City subway system, which needs it. Um, so a couple questions. Uh, you know, emergency vehicles um, and those carrying the disabled are currently exempt um, from this surcharge um, congestion pricing as well as those living in the area um, below 60th Street that's indicated who earn less than $60,000 a year. So there's a lot of talk of, you know, who else, if anyone, should be exempt from this pricing. Um, there's a lot of people who obviously think that they fall in that category, whether it be like, you know, educational um, trips from outside the city or like, you know, large buses that are like, you know, um, you know, keeping people from just, you know, clogging everything up with their own cars, like, just, do you guys think that anyone else should be exempt? Well, I definitely think that um, people who work and pay taxes in New York City, if they live outside of the five boroughs, should have some sort of exemption to this. You know, even if they just standardize a price like, OK, five dollars for you. I'm not validating the five dollars. I'm very um, <laughs> anti coming into New York tax for various reasons. But if I lived in Jersey and worked in Manhattan, this would totally take a, a dip at my budget, my budget. You know, especially if um, I've, I've been working here for a long period of time. How much taxes do we have to pay? Mm-hmm. You know, this is just an additional cost to be a New Yorker, which I don't think is is fair um, to those of us who have been doing this. And if we end up having to leave, you know, New York City proper, it's only because the pricing is just too expensive. We just can't do it. So mm-hmm. it's almost just changing the whole dynamic of who gets to come here. Mm-hmm. I think they should just focus on tourists. Big tours, buses, things like that. If you want to tax something, then tax those people who come and go, not the people that pay to keep the city yeah. going every day, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think that's an important point. And that's, it's important to consider just working people, you know, who aren't, you know, they're, they aren't doing anything special. They're not trying to, like, uh, move into New York, you know. They're just trying to live in their house they can afford yeah. and then go to work where they work, you know. Um, I wonder if I, I understand the tourist buses for sure. Um, and also just people who are sort of cruising through New York, maybe, um, Mm -hmm. that, that makes sense as a target for the, uh, for the expense. I think one of the concerns that, uh, that politicians often list when they talk about throw around congestion pricing is just the number of people who are driving, maybe driving to work, but they're one person in a four person or more vehicle, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that does have concerns for emissions and it has concerns for, you know, traffic. But what's, what's the answer, you know? I wonder mm-hmm. if it would encourage, uh, you know, more carpooling, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, actually. I don't know these communities, whether that would work for them or it would just yeah. be a disincentive. Yeah. yeah. And that's like another group that came forward and like based on what you said um, was like people who ride motorcycles, for example. Right. right. Where they're saying like, well, we take up like so much less space. Right. We're not congesting this area. So why, you know, and I think it's this thing where if it the only way that the not the only way, but, uh, you know, this this is either going to raise a lot of money for the subway system, which needs it, or it's going to reduce traffic, which is good unless it's like, you know, too many, quote unquote, too, like if if the majority of groups who get want um, exemption get it, then there's then it's kind of like a useless. Right. Yeah. Are we making it? Are we making? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, or is it even reducing anything? If they need to add another tax, then I would say do it at the DMV on the yearly cost to have your validations, hmm. you know, um, which I, I still don't support. But I'm just, <laughs> you know, they're always looking for something. So right. maybe that could have been a better solution. 
You know, um, mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't have had a, a major impact right away. But moving forward, it could have made a substantial difference in the, the monies that are collected for this type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then. Oh, yeah. And then um, another uh, one last local news story for the week. Um, another transportation news one um, that I don't think is not as um, people haven't been talking about as much, but I think is really interesting. Um, so earlier this week, a group of MTA workers uh, who call themselves the Transit Workers for Social Justice held a protest of the new L train work plan over safety concerns. Mm. They called for a delay of the start of construction, which is set to begin this month until the plan is reviewed by an independent third party. The protesters are concerned about potential overcrowding on platforms with the new approach, as well as silica dust that could affect air quality for workers and commuters. Um, so the MTA like has hired a consultant that will evaluate for safety and construction, but like will only be doing it as it takes place. So we'll be like regularly just checking in to see if how things are going um, as opposed to making sure the plan even makes sense and is feasible and safe for everybody ahead of the start of construction. Um, and, you know, for something this important, why can't we have the whole thing just fully reviewed in advance? Like who benefits from moving full steam ahead with Mm. this and just kind of like fixing it as you go. Right. Right? Like why? (laughs) I think this is all you, Violet. You're (laughs) you're an avid L train rider. What do you think? You know, I don't know. I mean, like the only thing I can think of is this is how this institution works. You know, I, I think it could definitely benefit from really thinking it through and as a stronger, uh, more planned out overhaul. But I think that, you know, for for decades, the MTA has just operated in this way. You know, it's such a huge system. Mm-hmm. It's dealing with so many, like, you know, pushes and pulls from all different constituencies. And it just sees a problem that it cannot, you know, cannot keep going. And it'll patch that up. Yeah. And then it'll move to the next, like, emergency and right. patch that up. It'll do patches as right. it goes as opposed right. to just, like, let's just, you know figure out a better way to fix it. Yeah. Well, I think the MTA better listen to them. I mean, these are their workers. Mm -hmm. You know, if they could just prolong this thing for another two weeks for a plan to be reviewed, they could probably like um, avoid being sued by the workers who will go into this and and ultimately have health problems. Um, And then even the writers, which will probably um, only get worse as we go along because there's more people that rely on that transportation. It's And that's like, that's a big thing that I think reading about this, I hadn't really thought of um, is, you know, there's a concern that the amount of construction dust that'll be like, they'll be picking up during working won't ha- it won't have time to clear out before people are actually in there breathing it and you know new york there is a history in new york of people being told that the air quality is safe when it's actually not mm-hmm. um like on 9-11 for example right, right. by the epa director um which is i know like you know like it's a really extreme example but it's like do can we trust the people you know the people in charge to really have that like our like the air the quality of the air we breathe at at heart right in this mm-hmm. issue or are they focused on larger things like looking good on a national scale that look how fast we got this done or like look how much money we save by like making you know what I mean like are they actually going to have those issues at heart right, right right yeah so you know all all important to consider <laughs> yeah. um, I think we're going to take a quick break mm-hmm. uh, and when we get back we'll hear about. Uh, What's going on with that full but redacted Mueller report? We want some more. Stay tuned. Pásame un bote que quiero mover el bote. Pásame un bote. Pásame un bote. Pásame un bote que quiero mover el bote. Y vamos a pistear a Mazatlán con banda. ¡Qué bien! 
y gordibana Andamos tirando lica de todos modos, hoy es quincena Hacemos una vaquita, luego llenamos una hielera Las claves para el ambiente, luego empezamos la pisteadera Pásame un bote, pásame un bote Pásame un bote que quiero mover el bote Pásame un bote, pásame un bote Pásame un bote que quiero mover el bote Buenas y gordibanas, andamos tirando lija de todos modos, hoy es quincena. Hacemos una vaquita, luego llenamos una hielera. Las claves para el ambiente, luego empezamos la pisteadera. Pásame un bote, pásame un bote, pásame un bote que quiero mover el bote. Pásame un bote, pásame un bote, pásame un bote que quiero mover el bote. Objection to the Rule, live from Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, mm-hmm. That was uh, Pasame Boate by uh, Banda MS. Uh, and uh, it is courtesy of my visit to a well-curated Mexican restaurant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we've got some national news. Um, and uh, this week, Minnesota Congresswoman uh, Ilhan Omar found herself in the middle of a media and Twitter storm once again, after President Trump tweeted a video that insinuated her recent comments involving 9-11 indicated anti-American ideology. Um, many Democrats expressed their support for her uh, in contrast with some of those Democrats' condemnations uh, not long ago after she uh, tweeted something that fired up the APAC lobby. So um, we've got a few different, we've got a lot that this, uh, this young woman, this new congressman is dealing with in just her first few months in office. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I'm curious first, um, you know, she, she's a young woman, she's an Arab American, she's a Muslim, um, and uh, she's, in, she's new to power. So she was elected enough Americans are ready for this representation leadership. But it seems from this backlash, you know, spearheaded by Trump, a lot of people rallied behind him, the Trump base uh, and others. Um, it seems like a lot of people aren't either aren't ready for someone uh, with these identities in power or they're just, they're reacting against it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, um, 
I'm I'm wondering uh, what we attribute this to. Mm-hmm. Do we think that like do we think a lot of Americans aren't ready, or do you think they would be if they weren't sort of encouraged by someone right. in power like Trump? I mean, how do you like where do you <laughs> begin to unpack yeah. that? It's like are we like that? I just going back to the 2016 election, even like were we like quote unquote ready for like a woman president or not? It's like. What does that even mean to be ready? Right. Or is it just is it really easy to just fall back on prejudices regardless of, you know, readiness or not readiness? Um, Is it just is it, you know, just really easy to um, fall back on stereotypes or anger? Um, Yeah. Like, how do you (laughs) I think this is the process. I think this is the process of us. It's not a be ready thing. America's mm-hmm. late mm-hmm. to the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. So being ready is out of the door for right. me. I think that this is the process. This is what happens. And seeing it on a large scale just brings the reality that this is what's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, you know, I just hope that as she moves through this, that she is supported and confident in her um, ability to navigate these channels. But this was to be expected. And this is just what has to happen. Right. It's the same thing happened to Obama and many other leaders before him. Is he American? His father's oh this. I know. He's right. Muslim. Did exactly. he really, was he really born in Hawaii? Like this is, this isn't new. No, it's just now in the forefront and obviously fueled by this ridiculous um, presidency that we have yeah. going on. That's fueling everybody to be so angry about things. Exactly. There's, it's clearly, Clearly, we're ready because she's there. She's in office yep. quote unquote, for, you know, whatever being ready means. Um, but then, of course, there's always there's that reactionary thing. Right? When when people in power feel change happening, they get mm-hmm. worried, they get scared, they get angry. And with things like Fox News, Fox News, there's just like, a you know, a wellspring yep. of places and people to direct anger at just kind of a changing world where, mm-hmm. like, you know, it feels like someone else is going to, you know quote unquote take over. Right. Um, as opposed to just like having a greater representation mm-hmm. of a population. And yeah, it, it, I think you're right. I think it, this is just the process of change is having people get angry yeah. and scared, I guess. Um, even though that feel it just scared of what, right? Yeah. Why are you even scared? See, Who's that's feeling the thing. That? It's the what, right? Are you scared because you haven't had enough conversations with people mm-hmm. to put this problem into a, an entire culture of people? Or right. is it because you didn't bother to do the research? Right. This woman did everything she needed to do to participate on this stage, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it is fear of the unknown, which is in the hand of the beholder, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. But hopefully this will open up those conversations and, Bring some much needed healing to people who are still hopefully uh, lost in that battle, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, the other question is Trump has regularly tolerated and he's often encouraged these conspiracy theories that are targeting certain groups, often certain groups of Americans, you know, Muslim Americans, uh, immigrants to the country, Mexican Americans, um, for suspicion, um, and so, uh, and African Americans, Black Americans, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm curious, like, what are some effects this this has, this habit of uh, posting and sort of uh, fanning the flames of uh, conspiracy and suspicion? Mm-hmm. Say that again. So, just what what are what are the effects of having a president who's not <laughs> going to be dismissive, but he's actually going to share these things, these right. conspiracies? Conspir- yeah. I mean, it's scary, if anything, to have um, the person who is, like, in some ways the most powerful person in yeah. the country um, be 
you know, just putting out just such like inflammatory, false, uh, mm-hmm. just it's really scary, honestly, to be watching it happen. And of course, like, you know, on some level, I'm already I'm just like it's been going on so long that it's yeah. like how much like I'm never surprised anymore. Um, That's so sad. I'd, I'd be. Yeah. Well, it's, it almost would be like if he, if he stopped doing it, it would be like. Yeah. It'd feel weirder, yeah. right? Like we're in the upside yeah. down right now. You know what? I'm going to play devil's advocate here sure. just because I'm always like, you know, on that side of the <laughs> argument. So for the sake of this conversation, Go let's ahead. just say that um, his ridiculous behavior is is opening up conversations, is peeling back layers. It is causing people to question their own beliefs. And it is making us have to really stand behind our, our beliefs and mm-hmm. what we say. It's, it's almost... Um, it's a horrible thing. Don't get me wrong. And mm-hmm. I hate to be caught up in it. But the reality is, at least these conversations are happening. What was happening before? That was mm-hmm. one of my griefs with Obama. Like, can you get mad, please? <laughs> can you just get mad? But I understand there were circles and times when he did. Right. But, you know, as an African-American, it's like somebody needs to freaking get angry mm-hmm. and, and put it out there so that we can really address these things. You know, so I'm just going to hope that is going to just cause an uproar in everyone to really just come to terms with their beliefs and the why and mm. trying to defend what they hate about this this presidency. You know, right. why? Add that little extra piece in that will um, just make people a little bit more communicative in the way they respect these issues. You know, mm. it's not just a thing that you could just put a Band-Aid on. So mm-hmm. why do you feel that way? What does she have to do with it, really? You know, right. so right. hopefully. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah. yeah, hopefully it'll peel back some layers for people. Right. Because, you know, you could say conspiracies are they they attract people because there are a lot of things that people are thinking or worried about Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, uh, maybe they believe, but they don't want to say, you know, but uh, bringing this out makes people say, you know, this is what I believe. And Mm -hmm. then people Mm -hmm. people challenge them in the real sphere. And I think that was a that was a concern I was hearing uh, during the election when um, some people who I knew, you know, weren't weren't supporters certainly of Trump's platforms, but they said, you know, you know, I think that it's better that Trump uh, is in power rather than Hillary, because I think that if Hillary were in power, um, everything would still be going on, Mm -hmm. but we'd have a nice face on it and Mm -hmm. we'd be for progress, you know, and for democracy and still doing a lot of these things. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Moving along. Um, Trump indicated that he might push to relocate migrants from the U.S. border uh, directly into sanctuary cities. Um, the sanctuary city is a policy that Trump has previously condemned and tried to undermine in various ways. Um, and this is testing the commitment of leadership in these cities uh, to s- their support for immigration because it uh, it has been sowing some fear among their communities, particularly the uh, some more conservative communities within their uh, cities. So um, just to review a sanctuary city, that uh, New York, a lot of major cities uh, have, uh, and some uh, less uh, mid-sized cities have um, have committed to being a place where uh, migrants and new immigrants can come uh, and won't be persecuted. Um, and th- that, you know, it's not saying that they'll uh, be free from all, uh, you know, immigration, uh, um, you know, challenges uh, and uh, just have streamlined into citizenship. Certainly, you know, I think a lot of us in New York know people who are here and struggling with immigration. But yeah. it's just committing to be a safer place to mm-hmm. uh, to be a, a new American. Um, 
And, uh, you know, it was interesting to me because uh, a lot of the reporting on this focused on some smaller cities. I think Cincinnati, Mm. uh, we can have our our Ohio (laughs) expert uh, uh, check me on that. But, um, you know, cities that aren't like big liberal bastions necessarily, um, but who have committed to the sanctuary uh, status. Uh, dealing with sort of challenges because, you know, the mayors of those cities have to decide, are they going to say, like, just reiterate, we welcome immigrants? Are they going to say, this is ridiculous, Trump's not actually going to just bring together and quote-unquote unleash people on the city? Are they going to say, don't worry, you'll be safe? Are they going to deal with the backlash if they imply Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't be safe from immigration? So it's just, you know, it sort of brings back Teresa's point about conspiracies, bringing them out in the open, because now people have to open this dialogue. So I'm curious what you guys think about all the backlash from this. Although just even like the word unleashed is just like so (laughs) like... It's just it, they're not animals no. and they're not like, you know, it brings to mind like just like hordes of just like, you know, non people right. as opposed to these are individuals who are here just seeking safety, right. um, you know, and it's it's and just like the, you know, it just feels like this like vindictive, like high school bean girl kind of reaction, just knowing Trump. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. in reality, like it, the way it's being executed. Right. This isn't like necessarily a bad you know bad like i don't know like you know the astral logistics of whether he's just gonna like you know force city at least to just like well you know i don't know but it's just like it feels like yeah. it's like well like fuck you like you know what you want to be sanctuary city and i can't legally do anything about it like right. here you go deal with it and it's like god like you know what i mean it's just so like it, it feels so like um just like 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 he's trying to just like slap someone right like or you know what i mean like trying to prove a point in a in a way that i feel like i fought with people in like middle school and high school um as you know what i mean and and it's a it's gonna be a real you know and i think is it i mean the question of whether it actually happens is gonna be interesting um and yeah it's gonna like the rhetoric and it's just trying to incite fear right again i agree i think it's a real passive action right um but I also think that, and here is the devil's advocate again, mm-hmm. I'm from Cincinnati. So historically, you know, there was a huge Quaker community that welcomed all of the migrants from the South, which mm-hmm. was the gateway um, on the Mason-Dixon line for a lot of people to have a safe life to move north. I think this is actually a great thing right. because it gives it gives another conversation. It's not about just people coming in this country and doing whatever they want. It's like, OK, go to these places. Well, these places should have some intergovernmental mm-hmm. organization within these cities to handle these these sort right. of things. You know, I think it's just calling people to the challenge. Mm-hmm. I think it's giving America an opportunity for places to step up yeah. that actually believe in this and showcase what it looks like and maybe change that dynamic. Because the, the best case scenario that right. this actually works out and it's actually positive and these people are blended into these communities and welcomed by these different communities across the across the world, then it kind of gives us a little bit of a headway on the immigration problem and less of a stalemate. Right. Like, what are we going to do? We're not just going to ship you out. Right. We're going to actually find out the stories about these people and be able to see what happens when we actually embrace right. this whole concept of what it means yeah. to be this land of the free. I think we'll be able to see it work. And we, yeah. And, you know, like we've seen, like if if people actually look at, you know, numbers, um, having a, you know, a, um, a diverse, um, immigration community Mm and riches cities, it helps, it it helps the economy. Um, so it's this idea, yeah, like maybe this is like, you know, but it's, it's this, it's stoking fear and it's, it's trying to turn this really important issue 
into just like a you know a passive aggressive well he might as well pass the book because he ain't doing much with it yeah Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we're going to we're going to save the Mueller report for next cool. week and we might have some more interesting yeah. uh, news on that. Uh, I want to give us more time uh, coming up. We're going to hear from uh, Teresa on world news, uh, including the arrest of Julian Assange after so many years hiding up in the uh, Ecuadorian consulate. So uh, we've got another song for you. Uh, stay tuned. To objection to the rule that was uh, actually poo by uh, El Gran Combo, um, and uh, we're going to get into world news next. Uh, Teresa, you've got the news for us. Yes. All right. So the WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange was arrested on Thursday in London, facing charges in the U.S. of conspiracy conspiring to hack into the Pentagon computer network in 2010. So you guys may have remembered him from a long time ago. Um, His arrest brings an abrupt end to his seven year stay in Ecuador's embassy in Britain, where he lived since 2012, um, trying to skip bail and avoid hearings 
to be extradited in Sweden in connection with accusations of rape and sexual molestation. Ecuadorian officials contend that the expulsion comes from an extensive list of transgressions by Assange, which include installing electronic distortion equipment in the embassy, blocking security cameras, confronting and mistreating the guards, and gaining access to security files without permission. This dude just doesn't stop, no. right? Um, do we see Assange as a free speech martyr, an unofficial member of the press, or has he just become a traitor and more likely to threat the national security of any country that gives him asylum? I mean, what's what's interesting about this is that the rape and sexual molestation accusations are thrown in there, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's not just that he's hiding from you know, a potential free speech issue. He's hiding from like being a bad dude, (laughs) just like, you know, um, yeah. So that's mixed up in there too. So it's, it's, I, my view is shaded for that reason. Right. I, I, um, I also, I mean, on a lighter note, it's funny if you read about the way the Ecuadorian embassy just called him a bad roommate. Like apparently he didn't do his dishes and just like (laughs) didn't didn't bathe enough or something. He didn't care the cat. It's just like ridiculous. It's like you're on a national stage, dude. Just like pick up your clothes. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked a little bit outrageous um, on that video. I don't know if you guys seen any of that. Um, He looked a little bit like he wasn't uh, well. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Violet? Yeah. You know, you, you both raised good points. I think that like. Yeah, he's such okay. Rape and sexual assault, I cannot condone. I mm-hmm. think that people should have to answer for these things. Um, in addition to that, he's he's such a wild card, you know. Mm-hmm. Like he's not going to stop. He doesn't seem to pick teams exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just releasing things. We got the WikiLeaks. An agent of chaos. Right, right. We had WikiLeaks that was spe- that appeared to be speaking truth to power for a while when we were first hearing about the website and what it was doing. You know. But um, and then in the 2016 election, we got like, you know, Hillary's Mm -hmm. emails for seemingly like no reason why, you know, and then now we have like he's tapping the embassy, which is (laughs) sheltering him. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's just like it's hard to know what to do with someone like this. Yeah. Do you guys agree that he should be extradited to the U.S. before facing charges in Sweden? Um, I think it's interesting. It's just uh, for something like this that's on such an international scale, right? Like this isn't this is not just a U.S. Mm-hmm. issue. It's like an international one. It's it's I you know, I mean, no one really has the answer, right? Because it's because yeah. it's like, what are they going to do? They don't know. Um, I don't know. And I I also you know I think that issue of free you know free speech versus um, security breach, I think is yeah. yeah security breach is really is really tricky and really important. Um, and, you know, they I was reading about how they're not um, the U.S. isn't charging him under the First Amendment mm-hmm. to try to because they, you know, they know that that's not a good route to take with mm-hmm. this. Um, and because that's dangerous for freedoms and all that stuff. Um, so it is really interesting. I don't know. What's more interesting is how your president says that he has no idea what WikiLeaks is. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys see that? No. I was like, wow, this kid. Um, and and I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, he's just hilarious sometimes. But he literally was on camera saying, I have no idea about this. And then you see four other clips of him talking about WikiLeaks during the election. Like, it's I don't know. Maybe he hit his head on something. Yeah. All right. Well, moving right along. Um, so we're going to go to Africa and talking about what's going on in Sudan. Um, tens of thousands of people have been protesting in the streets of the Sudanese capital of Kortorn, um to celebrate the end of a 30 year rule of their former president, Omar al-Bashir, after he was removed from power by the military last week. Um, 
Some of the sources are citing corruption, crimes against humanity, lies and false promises um, are reasons for the takeover. And now the military has declared a three month state of emergency as they work to establish a transitional government council. OK, is it surprising that protests of this magnitude are still necessary in 2019 to establish democratic governments? Hmm. hmm. Oh, maybe it should be, but I I don't know. I think this is just how people operate. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to relinquish power that easily. Uh, And sometimes you just have to, you have to, as a group of people, demand that change happens. What's interesting is that he was put into power 30 years ago in the same, in the same way. Mm -hmm. No, like history repeating itself. Yeah. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's really interesting. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, we, I, we, you know, I grew up in the nineties in a state of like feeling like, Oh, you know, like the EU is all together and like, mm-hmm. you know, Bill Clinton and all that stuff. And thinking that like, we're, you know, like world war two and like big international issues on a scale that would affect me seems so far in the past. And then like the older you get and the more you pay attention to the news and the way the world actually works, it became clear that it's, you know, um, it's easy to, to get lulled into a sense that, you know, things are out of stasis and like, you know, power belong, you know, people are have everyone's best interest at heart and it, you know, and then you actually start paying attention and yeah, people, you need to fight for what you need. And I had a friend, you know, talk to me about how, um, you know, it, you, and especially, you know, for us too, it's like, you know, our, we can't always trust our lawmakers to get things done. Um, and the teachers protests that had been happening a lot last year, um, they, they are mostly in red states where they weren't going to get that from the lawmakers and their protests are the reason that they got Mm -hmm. the pay that they needed in a lot of those states. So it's even true here that protesting is sometimes the only way to get what you need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We can't rely on these systems of power to keep, you know, keep democracy. Right. We can't rely on democracy to, uh, to, to keep people's rights. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I've in my life, I've probably participated in about seven protests. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very beginning, I was just so excited to see people caring about something other than themselves. Mm-hmm. And then the very last time, I just sat in the back and let the young people lead mm-hmm. and wonder to myself, where where does it end? Like, are we going to mm-hmm. actually see something come of change from this? You know, I support protest movements. I think that it is uh, gives voice to people and power to people, puts it back in their hands, makes people come to terms with their beliefs. But I also um, I feel really bad for the people there because mm-hmm. most of the the demographic that is doing the pro- these protests are thirty years in age and under. Mm-hmm. So in their entire life, they've been having. Um, underneath this this dictatorship if you will and they're they're growing into a people that has to do this to be heard uh, it's really sad when you yeah. think about the the young people there that may not even see a way out of this you know mm-hmm. but um i'm glad that they have the opportunity to do so because it looks like change is coming mm-hmm. okay my last question um what can be done by the international community to address issues of autocratic leadership you know something what, is there any other option besides sanctions I mean, the U.S. has a history of like stepping in like militarily too, right. which is which. So it's a really tricky, you know. Yeah. 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 You know, I, it's kind of tough. Hard, I know it's, it's a tough to question know what to say. You know, because like, is it is it the role of you know the U.S. Mm-hmm. or any other world power you know that to step into this country that's in transition and try to influence them? Mm-hmm. And their their self determination, 
probably not. No. Yeah. No. But like, I should we should we quote unquote stand idly by? Is that even mm-hmm. like a reasonable narrative? It's hard to say. I, I I'm not sure. Yeah. I think At the very least, I think the regional powers that be should you know maybe offer some sort of care to the people mm-hmm. in this nation um, if that's what they need, which seems to be happening um, in some reports that I've read. But realistically, it's really up to them to mm-hmm. determine what works for them. I think the best thing we can do is aid them yeah. and help the actual people that are on the ground to sustain the lives that they've built for themselves before all of this madness mm-hmm. begin. Just organizational support, sort of. Yep, resources, them, organization. Getting stuff together. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe giving them a platform to voice their concerns so that the world can hear it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, so uh, we got a few minutes left. Uh, shall we chat about uh, that EU deadline? <sighs> the new thing that's called being the yeah. flex tension. <laughs> so we've reported um, on this Brexit deal quite a bit um, on this show. Um, as of this week, an emergency meeting was held in Brus- Brussels that went for six hours on Wednesday with leaders of twenty-seven countries in the. EU and British Prime Minister Theresa May um, about extending the Brexit till get this October 31st. Spooky. Okay. So we went March and then we went May and now we're in October. Mm -hmm. Uh, The compromise was brought on by the French President Emmanuel Macron following his statement that a long delay would undermine the project of European integration. However, the latest extension is flexible, meaning that Britain can leave its once uh, Britain can actually leave once this divorce deal with the EU is ratified. Prime Minister May stated her frustration, but she's also concluded that this will be helpful because now she feels that they have a clear timetable. All right. So what can be expected from this six month flex tension? I don't know, because they couldn't get it. They had two years before. Right. Like, why is this like suddenly? Why is she so suddenly like, OK, like, oh, now we'll have enough time. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Like what, you know, what's really going to change. Right? right. I mean, like she has to put on like a happy face, like poor girl, because right. like I think she's just. Yeah. Stuck, you know? <laughs> she can't leave. She said she would. She's like the yeah. energizer bunny. Just let yeah. me out of here. Yeah. I mean, one consideration are these upcoming parliamentary elections. Mm-hmm. You know, not right. to say if, that this will be such a big deal, but if other people are in power, do you guys think she might have a chance to play? She might. I think we will have to see. We'll have to wait until next yeah. week. Yeah. That's about it for objection to the rule this week. Thank you guys so much for coming on, and thank you for the whole RFP community for your flexibility. (laughs) 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 Uh, We'll uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, See you then.